Welcome back to the Make Account Podcast. I'm Marcus Meir, founder of Mirror Group CPAs and the Total Control Accounting System. And I'm Tyler Warner, small business owner with a lot of accounting questions. All right, Tyler, today I hope you have a lot of tax questions. Because we're talking, yeah, always, (laughs) of course, we're talking year-end tax planning. Kind of give you a few things to think about, things to consider. Um, And what I want to do today is, on a couple of the things, hit on them and and go a little deep. Because a lot of times people give blanket kind of answers to this. Like, you know, in the last few years I've been seeing these commercials. Like, we have a dealership here in in Lafayette, which is Hub City Ford. Mm -hmm. And they're always talking about, buy buy an SUV, get a tax write-off. And it's just like... Yeah, maybe. So what I what I mean by that is I want to get into some of the nuances of that, why you would maybe or wouldn't do that, right. why it makes sense, why people say to do that. So let's kind of get right into it. That's the first thing on my list is consider asset purchases. So we're in the fourth quarter now. Uh, today's October 8th. We're kind of, you know, yeah. starting to look at. And if you're listening, by the way, we've got about eight of these. So, yeah. you know. Okay. Hang, yeah. Hang on, folks. Yeah, yeah. Hang on. We're gonna go through them quickly. This one I'll probably spend a little bit of time on because it's the one I get the questions mm-hmm. about the most. So you know, people always—I'm sure you've heard this. I mean, I've heard people say this to me. My CPA told me to buy something. I've heard that a lot. Yeah. And so let's unpack that a little bit. What they're saying is, you can buy a piece of equipment, a vehicle, office furniture, office equipment, computers. Name your thing that is expensive. That's not like some notebooks that you just buy and write off, like a fixed asset that you would depreciate. Okay. What they're saying is you've made a lot of money this year. You ought to spend some. So let's stop right there and think this through. In the tax world, it is always, not always, but mostly best to to not buy things you don't need to save taxes. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Yeah, that's... Yeah, but 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 I get this all the time. If you're going, if you if your profit is a hundred thousand dollars this year, and you're like, God, I don't want to pay tax on a hundred thousand. Let me go buy a new forklift, and it costs thirty thousand. Okay, so now you pay tax on seventy. You could write it all off through what's called bonus depreciation. So now you've reduced your taxable income from hundred to seventy. But what if you don't need the forklift? You've just spent thirty thousand dollars. You spent it right. to maybe say, let's just say your tax rate. When it all, let's just assume this is in like a partnership or an S corp. So it's going to filter down to you. It's a pass through. We've talked about that. And you're in the um, 22% bracket. And your state, let's just say, tack on another 3 or 4%, call it 25%. Okay. So I'm th- lost now. Okay. But all right. I'm okay. following the principle, but the brackets and uh, the numbers. Well, what I'm saying is, what does the, the deduction only saves you the tax rate that you would pay on that income? So if you have 100,000 of income, you would pay 25,000 in tax. But if you have 70,000 of income, well you'd pay thir- you would you would only pay on 70, which is the 30,000 times 25% less. Okay. Does that makes sense? Sure. So 7,500 bucks less. Yeah. So my point is, you spent 30,000 and it saved you $7,500. Mm-hmm. You didn't come out ahead economically. Right. You're in the hole 22,500. Now you have a forklift, but did you need it? Right. So that's always my point. The tax is a sweetener to the deal. It's not the reason to make the deal. Yeah. Because you still have to pay for it. Yeah. Let's change the scenario. You are growing, expanding. You've got big profits this year, but you need equipment. Perfect storm to buy the equipment. Right. I need the equipment. And oh, by the way, now the equipment only cost me 75 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. You follow that? Yeah. Because I paid 100% for it, but I got my taxes were about 25%. Of the savings. So really the equipment cost me 75% of what I paid for it. But 
you can see how you still got to pay for it. Right. So my point is, don't rush out to buy equipment to buy a vehicle if you don't otherwise need one yeah. because you have to pay for it. Right. So, but but suffice to say, that is a planning tool. Buy equipment, but let's get into why you could or couldn't do that and why you, some things might sneak up on you, what we call the traps for the unwary. So if you're in an S-Corp and you borrow money to buy that equipment, you could be limited on the amount you can deduct. That's the first thing. Um, so that's just something to think about. Yeah. And then if you're in a partnership, it works differently. So I'm not going to get too much into those two details. I just want you to know from listening to this that it's not always I buy a piece of equipment, especially this is what you need to walk away with if you borrow money to do it. Think you need to talk to somebody. Well, wouldn't in my mind, yep. if you're having to borrow the money to buy equipment, or you choose to borrow the money to buy equipment, well, then that's you're so you've sort of you're out of that logic of like, okay, I've, I I need to lower my tax bracket. Anyway, well, right? well, you can write off things you borrow. You can write off a piece of equipment that you borrowed to purchase. It doesn't have to be a cash purchase. So that's why, I mean, you could see, think about it. If your wheels are turning now, you're thinking, oh, great. I can go buy a $50,000 piece of equipment, finance it on December 30th, not even make a payment and get a $50,000 write-off? Yes, maybe. Okay. I didn't realize you could do that. I know. And so that's why I'm saying that because if you were thinking about this. I'm going to buy a forklift. You might. On credit. (laughs) You need to borrow. Yeah. No, but but if you're thinly capitalized, I don't want to get too much in the weeds of this, but if you're like, if you're an S Corp, which your business is Mm -hmm. and my business is, and you're thinly capitalized, meaning you don't have much equity, Mm -hmm. that bar, and we've talked about this before, this S Corp basis concept, you might not be able to write it off. You need to be talking to somebody. And so in all these examples, I think the overarching theme is have somebody in your corner with the data. One thing I had on my list and you told me to, you told me to take it off was what I had get organized. Yeah. And, and what I meant by that, and I think we're going to kind of talk about this in every one of these is if your data is really good in real time, <coughs> cloud accounting, just right. real, real quick, you know. You guys have heard, right? Yeah, you might have heard me talk about that <laughs> a little bit. But what I mean by that is you can make decisions later in the year because your data is real time. Yeah. So the more data you have, better decisions you make. If you're trying to make a decision in December using October data, that means you're guessing on what November and December were. Yeah. But what about if your if your data is so good that on December 20th, it's reconciled and cleaned up and nice and neat through December 15th? Yeah. You've got 11 and a half months of wait behind you to make a really good decision. Yeah. So I always just kind of give that point. That's really the first thing I think you should do. But you told me I couldn't put that on the list. Yeah, well, I think it's gonna be you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> say for all of them. It's it's point one a point two a. Right. You know. Um, so yeah, to sum that up, if you want to buy a forklift, need a forklift first. Exactly. That's always good advice. Make a, That's tax a, business tax tips aside. Just good business advice is perfect. Buy things you need. Run not, a good business. Right. Run a good business. Don't let the tax tail wag the dog, yeah. so to speak. Like right. run a good business. But know the tax implications because they sweeten your business decisions. Right. That's what I always tell clients. Like when somebody is blanketly telling you buy things with no caveats, with no nuance, they don't understand your business. Mm-hmm. That's easy advice. If anybody's just saying, oh, just go buy something, they don't understand your cash flow. They don't understand if it even saves you money. Can you write it off? Maybe you don't have any basis. Lots of issues. The point is, yeah. if you need it, go slow. Make sure you do need it. Talk to your advisor because if you're in an S-Corp and you borrow, lots of factors. Mm-hmm. Bottom line is work with somebody on that. Yeah. All right, number two. Yeah, charitable donations, pretty popular one. Um, but one thing I think 
people don't understand how charitable donations kind of fit in the overall scheme of tax deductions. Like, so a charitable donation is what's called an itemized deduction. We've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. Itemized deductions at the individual level, you, you can deduct them if they're greater than the standard deduction. So the government gives you a deduction. Let's put some numbers to it. Let's just say your adjusted gross income is $100,000 at your personal tax level. And the government gives you, it's it's roughly 25000 They just give you a standard deduction. They say, reduce your income down to 75000 now. Okay? But if your itemized deductions, which is what a charitable donation is, and mortgage interest, property taxes, state income taxes, those are the big ones. If those exceed the standard deduction, then you get that. Well, let's just say you gave $10,000 to charity and your mortgage was eight, your mortgage interest was eight, and your state taxes were six. That's 24000 Okay. The standard deduction is twenty-five. What did you get by donating to charity? Nothing. You were already going to get a twenty-five thousand dollar deduction. So again, like with anything, a charitable donation, great. I'm charitable. I give. It's the tax reasons, not the reason I do it, but I also plan it properly to sweeten the deal. So you could be in a situation where you've given a charity at year end and it saves you nothing, mm-hmm. and you were expecting it to save you a lot of money. So just think about the ways to do that. Um, one cool way, and again, I keep hammering this point, but if you had somebody advising you, they would tell you, Hey Tyler, last year, you know, you, you didn't even itemize, like you yeah. can give 10 grand a charity and maybe two of it's deductible. So just, if you want to give 10 grand a charity, great, but just know that yeah. don't expect this tax boon back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing we really like, uh, Quentin talks about it all the time, um, private foundations. So like here in Lafayette, we have the community, our donor advised funds and won't get too much into the weeds of that, but basically you can set up your own uh, foundation with the community. Here locally, we have the Community Foundation of Acadiana. You could go set up the Tyler J. Warner Foundation. That sounds awesome. It sounds awesome, I know. And it sounds prestigious. Exactly. Yeah. Put $30,000 in there. So right then and there, deduction. Again, assuming working through the itemized versus standard yeah. kind of conversation. But you could put $30,000 in there, boom, charitable donation deduction, and then later figure out how you want to dole the money out. So it's a great planning tool at year end if you've had a great year, but you're you're like, I, I just don't want to, and this is really for high-income earners, but I just don't want to go scramble and throw tens and $20,000 around. I want to put it in this fund, think about it, and then dole the money out. So donation deduction right when you put the money in, figure out what you want to do with it later. It's a really gotcha. cool tool. Okay. I have a question. All right. Good. Because I'm I'm just imagining now the Tyler Warner Foundation. And you should. And having a big fundraiser, cocktail party. Is this do we do we snap the ribbon with the big scissors? Yeah, exactly. Okay. We'll get back to you guys on exactly what we're going to be uh, <laughs> uh, fundraising for, but well, I mean, what's the minimum amount to do this? I think you can do anything. I would imagine a community foundation like I would maybe they put a little minimum for administrative Surely, purposes, yeah. but I've never heard them say, I've never heard them say that. So if you're going to do it, yeah, obviously look into that. Yeah. But man, what a great tool because here, let's just, I'll get into a little bit about charitable. What's a really neat planning tip. You can, so that kind of concept, I guess, gave you the example of where one year you gave charitable, but it gave you no benefit because you didn't exceed this, the standard deduction. Mm-hmm. What if you doubled your donations every other year? So let's just – okay, so I'm going to give you an example. How many, how many watermelons do I have left? <laughs> Listen. All right. So let's put some numbers to it. Standard deduction is 25000 Okay. Okay? Let's just say you wanted to give 15000 of charitable, 
your mortgage interest was five, and your state taxes were five. So that's twenty five thousand. Okay. So right then and there, the government was already giving you twenty five thousand. Mm-hmm. Your itemized because you already get the standard deduction. Your charitable gave you nothing, right? Right. Well, let's just say every other year you gave thirty instead of fifteen every year, thirty every other year. Let's work the example again. Thirty thousand charitable, five thousand mortgage, five thousand taxes. That's forty grand. Char- standard deduction is twenty five. Now you get the itemized of forty, and now fifteen of your charitable becomes deductible versus gotcha, zero. By skipping a year. By skipping a year. So really ah. neat strategy. That's a great strategy to use with a charitable foundation. Because you can dole the money out, you can put the money in right. and dole it out on the same time frame that you normally would give. Yeah. Think you know what I mean? So if you mm-hmm. were a giver or a tither. So you didn't want like your church or some kind of organization that depends on your donation to wait a year, yeah. put it there, and dole it out over two years, then do it again. Unbelievable. I know. I just thought of that. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's pretty good. I'm, I, in my mind, that's how like, uh, you know, like Batman gets gets <laughs> Bruce, paid. Yeah. Bruce Wayne. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's not Batman. That's that's Bruce Wayne. That's Wayne yeah, Industries. That's right. Yeah. Um, all right, number three. Yeah, accelerate deductions or expenses, I should say. So if you're a cash basis taxpayer, which most people are, cash basis meaning you only pay tax on the income you collect. You know, you don't pay tax when your accounts receivable, and you don't pay and you don't deduct things you hadn't yet paid for, like your accounts payable. Um, so that's a, that would be a cash basis taxpayer. You pay, you know, your income is what you collect minus your expenses. But you can accelerate things. So if you've got bills to pay year-end and maybe they've got a due date sometime in January or some vendors will let you prepay things, that's a way to move some deductions into the current year. Um, now, just know they're not available now in the next year. So you're kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit. But it is a common strategy. Yeah, and that only works for cash basis, right? Yeah. That's right. Because in accrual, 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 you're already deducting it yeah. at the time you incur it. Right. Yeah. So we'll get to that. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, all right, number four. Write off bad debts. So not so much for a cash basis taxpayer because you never – a bad debt would have never been included in income, right? It would have been in accounts receivable. You never would have included it as income yet. So this is more for like an accrual basis taxpayer. Okay. Makes sense? I don't even know what a bad debt is. Bad debt is I've – I have – I mean I know what debt is obviously, okay, but what's so, bad no, – No, that's a great question. Bad debt is I have – you owe me money. You, the customer, me, the business – I've rendered a service to you on credit. I bill you $30,000 and you don't pay it. It's a bad debt. So if I were an accrual basis taxpayer, I would have included that $30,000 in income in the year I billed you, but I've never gotten it. Okay. So then you want to write it off, right? I wish we had that. I yeah. wish we had that shit's Creek drop right now or the, <laughs> yeah. or the Seinfeld one. Yeah. Um, but you want to write it off, meaning you want to take it as a deduction. You, you put it in income in the year you build it. You never got a deduction for it. Bad debt deductions have to be substantiated, meaning you had to make efforts to collect. Right. So my point in saying bad debt is really around the documentation requirements and just memorializing what you did to collect on that debt. Gotcha. And bad debt is an accounting term. Yeah, bad it's debt not expense. Like, not your opinion that it Correct. was bad. That's it's right. Like- no, I'm glad you're asking that because that's that's like sometimes I think I'm jumping ahead. But yeah, bad debt that like bad debt expense would be something probably what we would call below the line. So below operating income, those things that don't happen all the time. They're more mm-hmm. like um, other income or other deductions. So they're not in operating. They're not a normal operation, right? Gotcha. Um, but, but also, you can have a bad debt as a cash basis taxpayer. Let's just say, and I've seen this with lots of clients, they'll lend their vendors money. Like, so they're working with a guy, they'll lend him money, and then they don't hear back from him. 
that's a cash basis like receivable because I gave you like money. You'll pay your vendor in advance. Correct. And he doesn't render the service or something like that. Okay. You could write that off, or you just lend you lend to people in your community, kind of business people, like different stuff. I've seen that where, again, same kind of concept. You just want to substantiate your efforts to collect. Yeah. But when you can say basically, I tried, I sent letters, I reached out, then you could take a deduction yeah. for it. Okay. Makes sense. Yep. Um. All right. write up obsolete inventory. Okay, so inventory goes on your balance sheet, so it's right. not deducted until you sell it. At the time you sell it, it moves to cost of goods sold on the P&L, on the income statement. Um, but for a lot of people, they'll buy inventory that they never sell. Right. So you should always be evaluating, is this, is this, gone, is this you know, obsolete? And if so, you've got to scrap it, like get rid of it, and take a deduction for it at the cost you paid for it. So that's a common practice for a lot of people at year end. Let's go through our inventory records and look at this old stuff sitting on the top shelf full of dust and go, we're never going to sell this, write it off. Meaning, move it from the inventory on the balance sheet to cost of goods sold or some kind of expense account on your profit and loss statement and take a deduction for it. And you mentioned earlier, like, get rid of it. Like, what do you do? You got to scrap it. You got to, like, if it's obsolete and it's junk, you've got to junk it. Like, you've got to throw it away. Oh, okay. Wow. You got to scrap it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. This is one I really like, and we're doing this with some clients. This is going to be more for your high income earners. Um, Purchase tax credits. So, like, this also sounds like this is Bruce Wayne right here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, If you want Bruce Wayne, this is it. Yeah. This is going to be step two after I start my foundation. Well, yeah. I think at the same time, well, in the the next meeting, we'll call it tax credit broker. Nice. Um, So, yeah, buy tax credits. And it's really cool. It's that, let's just say, uh, so let me back up a little bit. There are people that get tax credits that can't use them. So generally, this is when people like get these tax credits at the state level for fixing up historic buildings. Like they get these historic, yeah. like the tax credits we're buying are called historic structure credits. So people will go and renovate this old building and the government gives them tax credits. They can't use them. Maybe they don't have enough taxable income. They sell them on the open market to these tax credit brokers. Well, the brokers then sell them to people like my clients. Here's the gist. You might get a $50,000 tax credit. So $50,000 meaning that's like a payment of your taxes. If you had a $50,000 income tax bill and you had a $50,000 tax credit, your tax is now zero. Yeah. I explained this to somebody the other day. It's like a, it's imagine getting a gift card from the government. Perfect. Exactly yeah. right. But what if and you they could, were mind blown that I, that I was able to do that? They well, were what like, if, oh, it's, yeah. But what if you could pay $46,000 for the $50,000 credit? Yeah. That's it's, the tax it's credit. It's like game. buying the gift cards. At, on sale. Or you know how like they'll do that like Christmas time? Yeah. Like buy a $50 gift card for $40. That's right. It's, that's the exact same thing. So in, in that example, like a lot – that's and that's a familiar pricing, $0.92 cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. You could buy a $50,000 tax credit for 46000 Like you heard the term no free lunch. Like that literally is a free lunch. Yeah. Like that $4,000 is money in your pocket. You paid $50,000 of tax with 46000 yeah, and so there's like that's I. You mentioned tax credit brokers. Is yep. there like you go to a website and do this? Yeah, we, yeah. I mean, there's yeah, and you they can just give you a certificate that says yeah they handle the paperwork. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know we have one here in Louisiana called Stonehenge Capital, and they handle all the paperwork. There's a lot of paperwork that goes into it that that, that substantiate the transfer from the the state to the broker, to you, that you attach to your tax return, but we've done it for years. Gotcha. You mentioned state. So can you do this federal and I've state? never seen, no, I've never seen a federal. It's, so it's generally not for a, income tax. It's, well, it, it's state income tax. Okay. Yeah, it's generally it's generally state. I've never, never seen it on a federal level. Okay. 
So yeah, it's and really I, cool, and it's, a, and it's a good. I mean, for people looking for things, it's a really good, it's a really good planning opportunity. I mean, it's money in your pocket. And you said on average it's ninety two cents on the dollar. Ninety two, ninety three. Okay, that's generally the kind of the rate. So wow. you can see that doesn't make sense if you have ten thousand yeah. dollars of tax, right? Right. So another one I would say to consider is harvesting or harvesting tax gains. So this would work if you've got a year where you've sold stocks at, at a loss or you have losses carrying forward, what's called a capital loss carry forward. So capital losses, you can only deduct 3000 every year, uh, $3,000 loss in excess of your gain. So if one year you sold stocks and lost hundred grand, those were your losses and your, and your gains were 30, you have a $70,000 loss. Okay. Three thousand is deductible. Sixty-seven would get carried forward. Okay. Okay. That most a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. That's sixty-seven thousand. Let's just say you're in twenty twenty-one right now, and you're like, man, how can I get some benefit from that? Otherwise, I'm just going to get to deduct three thousand of it. Now sixty-four thousand goes to the next year, assuming I don't have any other gains. But what if you had a stock you bought seven eight years ago, that's run up and has a seventy thousand dollar unrealized gain? Why not sell it, pay no tax on it, because that loss would offset it. Okay. And then buy back wow. at the higher. So what you've basically done is establish a higher basis in the stock tax-free. Oh. Makes yeah. sense? Yeah. And let's just say it was a $67,000 gain just to make the math okay. easy. That's some real rich getting richer kind of stuff right there. It, it is, but like. it's That's not. like but, real inside. But it's, it is, but it's really, if you, you have to understand it. You have to have somebody looking out for you, working mm-hmm. with you. Like that doesn't come from a year-end or a once-in-a-year tax return. Yeah. Like you, we just don't know enough information, but that's mm-hmm. like, if I know your situation and we're meeting, I might say, Hey, you remember you got that capital loss carry forward? Any stocks you got that are really done well, you want to sell and buy back? Yeah. And I guess you could do that whole, like you just take your whole account mm-hmm. and do that. Yeah. You just look at what are, the, find one. what are the ones that have unrealized gains, big yeah. ones and long-term. That's a good, you know, well, I wouldn't say, let me back up. Short-term would actually be better, but, um, yeah, just look at what's unrealized and say, sell that one, sell that one, sell that one, and just buy it right back. Yeah. Let's think of the opposite of this, too. So one thing I, you know, I didn't mention is you can't do this. On, let's just say you had a bunch of gains and you were trying to figure out losses to take. Right. Well, you can't do that same scenario where you lo- sell a loser and rebuy it. That's called a wash sale. Okay. And basically, if you, re- if you sell something at a loss and rebuy it within a 30-day window, the IRS negates the first transaction and just says that didn't even happen. So if you're thinking, man, I killed it this year in the stock market, uh, but I've got this oil and gas stock or name your yeah. investment that's gone bad, I'm going to just sell that one and offset the two and I'll buy it right back because maybe yeah. I like it. Yeah, that's Can't exactly what I was thinking. That's, yeah, I'm sure you were. It's <laughs> good. You, you, yeah, but you knew the Washington yeah, rule, I'm sure. I killed it this year. <laughs> you killed it in the market. <laughs> um, uh, last one is harvesting crypto losses so i just told you the wash sale rule mm-hmm. where you sell a stock at a loss if you buy it back within 30 days that loss is negated it just adds to your basis okay, okay. crypto is not that way a cryptocurrency is not considered a stock it's a it's a capital trend it's a capital asset meaning you pay capital gains when you buy and sell but it's not a stock so what i mean is if you have a like let's just say you got in a bitcoin it was about three months ago when it hit 65,000 all time high. Like you kind of caught the fever mm-hmm. and like, crap, I bought Bitcoin at 65, but it, and it, and well, it's back to 55 now, but on the, it, it went down to like, I don't know, 28. Yeah. When you sold it at 28, 
And then you could you could have sold it at twenty eight, and let's just say that would have been a thirty seven thousand dollar loss, roughly, depending mm-hmm. upon how much you had in it. Use that to offset some other gains in the stock market and rebought it, because again, there is no rule on wash sales for cryptocurrency. You can sell something at a loss and buy it back the next day. It doesn't invalidate the first transaction. Yeah. Is that just because it's not actual like U.S. tender? Like, how does that? I mean, I guess because it's not a stock. Like, that's a rule really related to like equities. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But crypto kind of trades like that, so I, yeah. I get why people would not think that. Right. They would, oh, I'm sure the wash wash sale rules apply. Yeah. It's like a stock. You trade it on an exchange. You there's market right. prices, so it feels like a. I mean, it's not a stock, obviously, but it feels that way in the way you buy and sell it. Right. But there's some great planning to do. If you bought crypto on the run-up a few months ago, but you still want to stay in it, sell it, take your losses, especially if you've got some gains, buy it back. You've harvested the loss. Really no harm, no foul. Buy it back. Yeah, that's wild. It seems like it's so crazy that... Because, like, I mean, I'm not a crypto expert, but, like, the transactions that I've got with crypto, there's a ton of them. Yeah. That just seems like crazy to have to like keep track of. Yeah, you have to. I know. <laughs> you look so distraught. I know. Man. I'm just thinking. I didn't even consider that. I'm glad you're telling me now. We, <laughs> yeah, we may need publicly. To consider yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think if you're listening to this, and one thing I think hopefully that's evident is working with somebody not just in a role of a tax preparer. Like somebody does your tax return on the back end, you're not getting any of this. It's just you're just not um, because their job is not to do this. Their job is to do the tax return, which is why we're moving toward all engagements where we work with people up throughout the year because we don't want to not do these things. We don't want to just do a one-off tax return. While you know we could do that and we th- I think we do a good job at it, it's not as fulfilling and it's not as good for the client because yeah. we're not doing these things. Yeah. Well, in pretty much every example we laid out here, there were so many variables, so many what ifs. These aren't not just like A plus B equals C or whatever. It's, right. It's it's definitely situational. Yep. So the more data, as you're always saying, the 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 more, the, data. The more data you have to work with as a CPA, the better equipped you are to get the best give the best advice no question um and so you got to do all the things we always talk about build that foundation get it get it cleaned up get it consistent get it collaborative you nail those steps you got somebody on an engagement working with you to to look at the output of that data way better position than not and you'll have your own foundation before you before you know it foundation what what was that one we said uh (laughs) you said you were going to do I forget what it was. It was foundation, and then you said you're, and, and then uh, you were going to buy your tax credits. I was going to buy tax credits. I think, yeah. yeah, in the same afternoon where you where you cut the ribbon at your foundation, you had the tax credit broker mm-hmm. meeting. Right. Yeah. Bruce Absolute, Wayne. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. If um, if any of these things piqued your curiosity or you thought, man, I, I could probably need to look into that more, go to mirror.group. Connect with Marcus there, get on his calendar, and um, you guys can can talk more details there. And you can also find other episodes of the podcast that will, you know, give you the nuts and bolts of accounting. So check it out, mirror.group. Have a great day. See you next time.